Well, let's continue with our look into what the situation in Afghanistan is like one year after the fall of Kabul and the return of the Taliban. Uh, once Western-backed leaders, uh, once its Western-backed leaders left, and along with Western nations at the same time, aid groups, many also left, the economy went into a tailspin, and it has fundamentally transformed the country. Reporter Ian Pinnell in Kabul says the Taliban takeover has been especially hard on women and girls. All women and girls in this country have lost out. Women have been denied access to jobs. Girls, certainly high school age, have been denied access to education. We're seeing increasing numbers of street kids out uh, trying to earn enough money to try and feed their own families. Some of them are as young as three or four years old. Ian Pinnell of ABC there in Kabul. Well, the economic downturn has driven millions more Afghans into poverty, even hunger. There's a massive humanitarian crisis unfolding there now as the flow of foreign aid slowed really to a trickle. One of the issues for Canadian aid organizations has been our country's sanctions regime that prohibits them from working or spending money inside the country. It's a big problem. Other countries such as the US, UK, Australia, even the European Union have figured out workarounds. We have not Joining me now is Taryn Russell. She's the head of policy and advocacy at Save the Children Canada, uh, and she uh, joins us now. Thanks for your time tonight. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Um, just reading through this report that Save the Children has put out recently, it's hard not to think of this one-year anniversary as being a particularly grim one for many reasons. So you looked into how difficult life is on the ground right now for kids. What is the situation? Yeah, I would say life is indeed really dire for children in Afghanistan right now and the year since the Taliban took control of the country. Um, One of the most, I think, shocking things to me that we found in the report that 97% of families reported that they're currently struggling to provide enough food for their children. Um, Children in Afghanistan, you know, because of that, they're facing extreme hunger, they're facing exploitation, where families are having to make tough decisions about taking their children out of school and going to work to help support the family. Um, A loss of their education, which is particularly true for girls, as, as secondary schools for girls was banned. We're also seeing outbreaks of diseases and unfortunately for many children, a death. So one year on, on this kind of grim anniversary, it's it's really a truly a deepening humanitarian crisis and, and something that the international community really, really needs to address urgently. I know there are a lot of factors here going on here. We had the earthquake recently, of course, in one region of the country. There's been drought. There's been a number of different things going on. But what are some of the primary factors that are at play? Yeah, so the first, so right now the economy is collapsing, which is for some of the reasons uh, that you alluded to. So years of conflict, uh, natural disasters, poor governments, but also the international sanctions that were put in place a year ago and when aid funding was cut off from Afghanistan after the Taliban takeover. Uh, Then on top of that, we are also in a situation where, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has still has lingering effects. And unfortunately, a drought has just been unending in Afghanistan. Um, which is contributing to a looming famine, looming famine, and then of course, as you said, the earthquake in June. So it's really just a confluence of events, um, and, and a, which has made it. We're currently in the uh, worst humanitarian uh, disaster that that the country has actually seen before. So it's really unprecedented. You had some stats whereby a great majority of girls and boys are going to bed hungry. Uh, yeah. If Canadians didn't understand the impact that this is having, just on what was already fragile. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the report that we did, which is called a breaking point, breaking point life for children one year since the Taliban takeover, we found that almost 80% of children said they'd gone to bed hungry in the last 30 days. 
And and two thirds of those children were girls. So girls are more likely to go to bed hungry uh, than boys. You know, 88% of children reporting eating less than usual over the last year. And, and these children told us that, you know, when they're hungry, it makes it hard to focus on their studies. It makes it hard for them to play. And then, of course, we know that children that are hungry and are facing malnutrition um, are more likely to be susceptible to disease as well. So it, it's really a horrible situation. You mentioned the sanctions already. I mean, clearly there's frustration amongst aid groups in this country, particularly about how the sanctions, which we understand why they were put in place. I mean, they were triggered automatically when the Taliban took over, Uh, but they're having a real impact on your ability to deliver aid in a situation where clearly aid is desperately needed. Yeah, so Canada's in, in a unique situation and not a good one. Um, when it comes to sanctions and anti-terrorism provisions in Afghanistan. So so as viewers may know, we've had a long history in Afghanistan. So since 2001, we've actually provided more than $3.6 billion in international assistance and aid to Afghanistan. Uh, you know, so this has focused on things like education, health, human rights, and we've had a particular focus on women and girls. And we did see some real progress in a lot of areas before before the economic collapse and the takeover over the past years, including in gender equality, including in health and nutrition. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, a lot of that progress has been taken away. And, and right now, people in Afghanistan need humanitarian assistance more than ever. So about half of people in Afghanistan currently need life-saving assistance. Um, but what's happened is that Canada is sticking to a much stricter line than other countries when it comes to our international sanctions and anti-terror, anti-terrorism provisions against the Taliban and humanitarian aid. So some of our allies, so countries like the United States, the United Kingdom, the European Union and Australia have all updated their sanctions regimes to allow for humanitarian exemptions or carve-outs, which means that aid organizations continue their work in Afghanistan, uh, but Canada has not. So that means that although a bit of aid has gone to UN agencies, Canadian organizations like an organization like Save the Children and the other organizations in our coalition uh, that are working on this issue, as well as individuals can't send any funding to Afghanistan without violating the criminal code, which would put us at risk of prosecution and loss of charitable charitable status. So for over a year, countries that, you know, sorry, organizations that had worked in Afghanistan for decades have been unable to provide support. I mean, one understands why uh, governments have trouble drawing, sort of trying to walk the line between uh, allowing for humanitarian aid and aid in general to go into the country versus uh, being seen to support the Taliban regime. At the same time, if other countries have already found ways around this, it seems shocking that Canada has has not managed to as well at this point. Absolutely. And I think you're right. You're right. It is it is a tricky situation, um, but it's not unprecedented. Humanitarian um, organizations and humanitarian work is ongoing in some of the toughest, you know, political situation and conflicts that countries around the world. Um, for Save the Children, you know, we've been working in Afghanistan for over 40 years. Um, so we have strong policies and procedures in place that ensure that all our funding and resources go into the country and only end up in the hands of the recipients it is intended to do. And other, you know, Canadian aid organizations have these same policies and procedures. So we know how to work in these situations. The need is really there. Um, And the reason that we've become more public on this issue is because we just cannot understand why the Canadian government has not been able to make progress on this in, in over a year now.
You know, the Canadian government do often, I mean, and you're not alone here too, right? And the government often listens to aid organizations who have lots of experience on the ground in these countries. Uh, you, what kind of response have you had from them? I know there was a letter at some point asking that there be at least some revision to these sanctions to allow for carve-outs, as you mentioned. Uh, what has the government been telling you? Yes, we've done, you know, since this happened a year ago, we've been engaging in a lot of advocacy efforts. So many, many meetings with uh, the government across different departments. It's it's a bit of a complicated situation because it involves different departmental ministries. So the justice, uh, citizenship and immigration, public safety, uh, foreign affairs, development. So we've had many different meetings. We've sent letters. We've um, testified before the Parliamentary Committee on Afghanistan. Um We've gotten a lot of we're working on it, um, but that's not good enough at this point. You know, as we've kind of talked about some of the stats that are coming out of the country in terms of just the desperate need of people, we need to be putting this at the top of the political agenda. Um, There's kind of two solutions that we see that we've suggested. One is a bit shorter term, which is what other countries have done, which is carving out exemptions for humanitarian aid, which is pretty standard in many of the countries we work in that are complex and have sanctions issues involved. And then the second one, which is a bit of a longer term um, issue, is around how can we amend the criminal code to ensure that we don't run into this situation again. Um, The way that the criminal code and anti-terrorism provisions were put in place was is not, you know, it's not to um, pro- prohibit Canadian organizations from de- delivering aid. That was not the spirit of it, yet we're caught up in it. So that needs to also be an amendment, um, which we understand can take time, but it's also been a year and we just have not heard of a lot of progress or, or gotten assurances that if we do go do the work that we need to do in terms of delivering aid, we won't uh, be prosecuted or get caught up in legal battles. Yeah, it's an impossible situation for organizations yeah. such as yours. Taryn Russell is my guest this half hour. She's the head of policy and advocacy at Save the Children Canada. We're talking about the one year anniversary of the fall of Kabul and uh, work that Save the Children has done on just how dire the situation is for lots of kids in Afghanistan these days. Families struggling to get enough food, to find enough food to feed their families, kids going to bed hungry, girls in particular, and also the sanctions regime that Canada now has in place that's particularly prohibitive, preventing organizations such as Save the Children from doing the kind of work they should be doing or want to be doing uh, in Afghanistan right now. When we come back, we'll talk about just just about what happens next, um, how to put pressure on the government to try to make some exceptions here, uh, and just uh, you know, also also the can the sanctions regime be changed. Does it need to be changed? Obviously, it does. We'll talk about that after this. Taryn Russell is with us this half hour. She's the head of policy and advocacy at Save the Children Canada. We're talking about the one-year anniversary of the fall of Kabul and just the dire humanitarian situation the country finds itself in. A combination of many things from climate issues, drought, uh, an earthquake recently, natural disasters, an already sensitive situation uh, after years of conflict, and of course, sanctions, international sanctions on the Taliban that kicked in when they took over, and what impact that's having on aid groups, specifically Canadian ones, uh, and preventing them from doing work on the ground in that country. One of the ironies that strikes me here, Taryn, is when we speak to other people, because of the Taliban's return, one of the you know, the silver linings in this very dark cloud is that the security situation is much better, allowing you know, aid work to be done on the ground uh, if you can get there. Yeah, so d- it, that is true. Like, I think the thing about humanitarian organizations is that, as I mentioned earlier, many of them, like Save the Children, have been in the country for decades. 
Um, so they have experience working with different groups, um, working in regions that are unstable, in regions that might not be harder to access. So we know what to do in terms of how do, can we deliver like saving aid in, in, in contested areas. Um, and in the right now for Canadian organizations, the main thing that's blocking us from doing that is, is this legal issue over the sanctions. But there are, you know, other humanitarian organizations globally that thankfully are able to still deliver aid. Um, but part of the issue is not only access, it's also funding. So right now, um, Afghanistan only has half the funding that it needs in order to address the immediate life-saving needs for people, um, which which is devastating when you continue when you consider how many people um, need things like food, they need things like shelter, water, that sort of thing. So it's it's an access issue to a degree, but really it's also a financial issue and the need for for more funding to be to get to the country. And it feels like after Canadian organizations did so much work there as part of the greater mission in that country to to forward some of the priorities that Canada had in Afghanistan that we're at risk of losing it all. That it, that you know it's very hard to it strikes me as hard to restart these uh, these complex uh, operations and networks on the ground if they're left you know if they're left unattended for for too long. Absolutely, and I think that's particularly true for organizations, smaller organizations that are working very closely with local community groups, with human rights defenders, um, you know, you build up those relationships and there's an, an assumption of steady funding um, to help continue the work. And there's really just been a break when it comes to Canadian support, which is really unfortunate because as you say, we're already facing a really ba a huge backslide in terms of positive outcomes for people in Afghanistan because of the confluence of factors we discussed earlier. And, you know, we as Canada, we've done so much good work in the country. We don't want to be right now an impediment to, to progress and to supporting people. Yeah. Then, uh, as a last question, when we look at, at at just the, you know, obviously eight organizations from other countries where there have been carve outs like the US, the UK, EU, Australia, and so forth, clearly they can deliver aid to the ground. But what does Afghanistan lose when, what does Canada lose when we can't be there because of this, of this sanctions regime? I think one of the big things, which is a loss for, you know, the international community and Afghans as well is, is Canada had a unique role in terms of our real championing of, of the issues and rights of women and girls. Um, so that's where I feel particularly um, passionate about wanting to resolve this issue because we have been a huge leader around the world in terms of championing the rights of women and girls. And we know that girls in particular are just really struggling um, in Afghanistan and they need the support from countries and organizations like Canada and like the humanitarian organizations we work with that have a lot of experience working in gender equality that can help to work on the issue of getting girls back in school um, and those other issues. I think it's, you know, we also want to make sure that we are a good global contributor when it comes to international aid. And right now, um, Canada is not doing that in Afghanistan, which is which is too bad. And it certainly feels like time is not on on anyone's side at this point. Absolutely. Um, you know, this kind of we talked about this grim one year anniversary, as I said, it's the biggest humanitarian catastrophe Afghanistan has ever has ever seen, which is quite shocking when you just, you know, we Canadians have had a history of watching what's going on in Afghanistan. We've been very involved in the country. We've welcomed Afghans to Canada as refugees. And it's it's really tragic to see how bad things have gotten. And so that's why we really want to encourage um, Canadians to get involved with our, our campaign. Um, around how we can ensure that funding gets back to Afghanistan and that aid can flow. And how can they do that? So Save the Children, alongside a coalition of other um, 
uh, charities and organizations have launched a campaign called Aid for Afghanistan. Uh, so you can go to the campaign website, which is aidforafghanistan.ca. And our hope with the campaign is to really demonstrate to elected officials that there's public support for, for the work that we're doing in Afghanistan and that Canadians don't want to see that work inhibited by red tape and a lack of political will. So on the cam website, campaign website, you can write to your member of parliament and encourage them to take action. Um, you can also go on Twitter and other social media and use the hashtag aid for Afghanistan and really try to drum up some attention on this issue um, so that we can have a resolution to it as quickly as possible. We really can't afford to go another year uh, without providing support to the people of Afghanistan. Well, Taryn Russell, thank you so much. Thanks so much.